Hello and welcome back to the Joy of Aquatics. My name is Joy Simons and today we're going to be talking about objectives and how to maximize our time. But I really want to tell you about the most interesting week that I've had. Now I have had discussions with people about pays, planning, swim school sizes. I've actually had some really good conversations with this with people this week and I really want to share some of that with you guys today. But the best discussion I have had all week was regarding planning in swim schools and it's brought me to this topic of objectives. So what are they? How do we use them? And it's something that's kind of been building for a couple of weeks for me. But objectives are really small steps towards our goals. They're the stepping stones. And I've realized how important objectives to me are. So not just within our lessons, but within life as well. So when we're talking about lessons, what we get the kids for 30 minutes a week, sometimes twice a week, if we're lucky, um, we have them for this really short period of time. And how can we maximize that time? Yeah, we can talk about time on task and a whole heap of other things that go with it. But I really want to talk about objectives because it's not just in our lessons that they're useful, but across life as well. So let me give you a life example. If I wanted to be an Olympic athlete, what do I need to do every day to get there? So my end goal might be to be an Olympic gold medalist. But then I actually need to sit down with my coach and figure out what have I got to do to get there? What are all the small steps in between? What do my training cycles look like? So I might have an objective for one training cycle and it might be to improve my aerobic fitness. But then within each day of that training cycle, I'm going to be working on different things. Objectives are small steps towards our goals. So yes, works on a life, a life scale, but it also works in our lessons. And I've realized this in the last few weeks when I've been um, visiting some swim schools and I've realized that teachers actually don't know why they are doing certain activities. And to me, that's not acceptable as a teacher. If I was a parent on the side of the pool and I said, look, why are you doing that? You need to know, you need to be able to answer me. If I'm the parent and I'm asking you, why do you guys do this every week? You need an answer. I've also realized that objectives actually help us cut out the crap. If my goal is to be an Olympic gold medalist and I need my body to look a certain way, um, so let's say I need to be really ripped and not have much body fat, then why would I go and put McDonald's in my mouth? That would take me away from my goal, not towards my goal. Everything I start doing when I understand my objectives takes me towards my goal. And this is how successful people behave, okay? So literally cutting out the crap, the things that we don't need in our life, now this works really, really well in our lesson plans because it makes us think, what am I trying to achieve with this? If it's not helping me achieve my final goal, I don't need it. I don't need it. So if picking up rings off the bottom 
is not helping me achieve my final goal in teaching these kids to swim or teaching these kids whatever the skill is for this particular level or this particular class, I don't need to do it. And that then starts to give me more time on task. I think all of this ties in really closely with our planning and a big bone between small swim schools and large swim schools and who actually does the planning. I think this has been a bit of a, a point of contention for lots of people as to who does, who does the plans and how much flexibility teachers have within their lessons. For those really big swim schools that where the swim school does or the manager does all of the lesson planning, I get it. I totally get it. You guys need this for quality control. However, it's really, really important to make sure that the teachers that are presenting the lesson plans have a very clear idea as to why they are doing exactly what they are doing. When teachers aren't doing their own planning, it makes teachers super lazy and it takes out all their creativity. And I think this is potentially one of the reasons that we actually have a high turnover of teachers in our industry because they do their course, they show up, they're given a lesson plan and they've just got to deliver it. And their lesson plan might just be a list of activities. That's actually super boring. Absolutely super, super boring. I would not want to teach in that environment. I personally know that I would struggle in that environment. To me, that is just like going to a factory and doing the same thing every day. Day in, day out, day in, day out. I'm bored. I have no job satisfaction. Okay, yes, the child's acquired a skill. Woohoo! I don't feel like I actually really helped them achieve that. Some people might feel like they have. And yes, you do get to build connections. But for me, where's the creativity? How can I truly take ownership of that if someone else has written the lesson plan and the, the child's done the work? I, I'm really just there supervising. I find that really, really boring. And I think we need to stimulate our teachers and help them plan and create objectives more often. So some of the lessons that I've seen the last few weeks have just been a list of activities and it's the same activities for every level, week after week after week, and it does not get changed. So I've done some assessments in the last couple of weeks and lesson plans from one person to the next were exactly the same because it was the same lesson, same level. So I totally get that in big swim schools, but I'm challenging swimming teachers and the people that are writing the lesson plans, what are your objectives? What are they trying to do? If it's the same lesson plan week after week after week, how does your objective change week after week after week? Okay, so if you've got cards that are stapled together for all of your different lessons or however you do it, what are your objectives? So I've seen a teacher in the last few weeks and I've given her a new lesson plan template where she actually writes down her objectives for every activity she does for every week. So a way that a big swim school can break this down is that you write, you write all your activities down on the left, 
you put your weeks across the top and then you fill in your objectives and they might change from week to week. So the first week that the kids are doing rockets or torpedoes, it might be, okay, we're working on chin down or chin on chest or eyes down or whatever it is that you cue for that. But remember, your cue words come from your objective. So if you don't have objectives, how do you cue children in to get exactly what you're looking for? And I'm finding this over and over and over again. And this is also where empty compliments come from. Something that Christina spoke about last week. Yes, we all have this habit every now and again of going, yes, that was great. Well done, guys. What specifically was great about it? What was awesome? So I'm challenging everyone to look at your planning. Why are you doing what you're doing? Okay, I've had a question come in from a lady called Judy from Sydney, and she has asked me about one of her students. She says, Joy, I have a young boy who is struggling to keep his legs up when he's doing backstroke kick. I feel like I've tried everything. Please help. Now, I did try and call Judy before I recorded this to have a chat with her, uh, but I couldn't reach her. So I'll chat with Judy another time. But for everyone else out there who may have the same issues, one thing that I always say to kids is bottom up. Now, I've had at least four teachers in the last two weeks continue to say chest up to fix this problem. And ah, I hate that. Let's think about what we're actually looking for when we're cueing kids in. Remember, what are our objectives? Because our cues should be coming from our objectives. So let's think, what makes a great back rocket? Now, Judy might not be looking for every single piece at the same time for a back rocket if she's just um, building the rocket to start with or, or torpedo, but she's definitely looking for those legs to come up. So I would say to Judy that, or I would say that Judy's objective was, um, let's go with to perform a back rocket or torpedo with legs close to the surface for a specified time or distance. Okay, now that to me is a smart objective. Remember, our objectives should be smart, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time related. Okay, you remember that? So what are we actually looking for? We're looking for those hips to be close to the surface. We're looking for those arms to be straight and um, up around the head. Um, the top of the foot is going to pass through the top of the water. So we want that chin up, the head back, and we're looking for that propulsive kick. We want that nice streamlined shape. So we want the hands in the water. We want the elbows in the water. Everything's got to be close to the surface. So let me ask you all this. If I'm an adult on a seesaw, and it's just me on the seesaw, where does my side of the seesaw go? It's going down. Now let's put a child on the other end. What's going to happen to me? Remember, it's just a child, so I'm no, I'm not going to go up. But because I'm still heavier than the child, I'm not going to go up, but I am going to feel lighter, aren't I? Now, let's apply this to the child. So if I'm constantly saying chest up, that's like taking the child off the seesaw. 
and that's making me go down to a squat and use my legs to try and push myself up all the way. Now, I don't know about most of you, but I can't squat that deep and keep everything intact. That's just not a pretty sight. We don't need to see that, right? So how am I going to get up? What's the easiest way? It would be to get someone to push or pull, depending on how high the seesaw is up, to pull it down, okay? We want that other side of the seesaw to come down so I can get off nice and elegantly without flashing the world, all right? So we want that other side of the seesaw to come down so that I can come up. Why are people trying to push the most buoyant part of their body higher in the water just to try and get the heaviest part of our body to come up? Okay, we, we are like a seesaw in the water. We want to be balanced in the front and balanced in the back. But we're also like one of those four-way seesaws that you've seen those new ones come in with the springs in the parks these days and they have like four arms to the seesaw. That's like us in the water. We want to be balanced front to back as well as side to side. So if Judy continues to say chest up, the legs are going to continue to go down. I challenge you all the next time you get into the water, I feel like I'm laying out a lot of challenges this week. Next time you get in the water, I want you to back float and I want you to push your chest up out of the water and see where your legs go. Guarantee you they're going to go down. You're going to be making that problem look worse. Now Judy may have already tried this chest down um, cue, which is what I'm recommending. Chest down, chest down. I'm doing this in the office here and, and no one's actually here to see it. I feel like I should be recording this. <laughs> um, but chest down is going to actually help them get their legs up because you're going to be balancing out that seesaw. Okay, really, really important. It's a simple cue, but it's come from our objective and we're looking for legs close to the surface. A simple cue from our objective and from a little bit of science. Remember when we learnt that stuff in our um, how our body moves in water, um, principles of movement in water in the OSFM course. I'm not sure what the equivalent is in the Swim Australia course, but we all learn about how our body moves in water. And this is one of those simple things. We've got to be balanced from front to back, okay, as well as side to side. So... The other thing that I want to point out with this is that this is only going to work for about 95 to 97% of kids. Now that's percentage of, of what I've seen. I'm, I don't know what the actual percentage is. But you know those kids that are just rocks. They are sinkers in the water. They can't float. Okay, Their body density has them lower in the water. They may be really, really skinny and they're quite muscly. Maybe they do a lot of soccer and they do a lot of running, so they're very tight through their shoulders and they can't get to that nice streamline shape really, really well. These are the kids that you actually need to say chest up to. Okay, so those kids that don't float really well, you need to be saying chest up to those. It's going to work a treat on those. But for 95% of kids that are great floaters, they've got good flexibility in their shoulders. These are the guys you want to say chest down to. Now, if you say chest down to them, they're actually going to tilt their pelvis really well, which is going to lift their legs in the water. Now, sometimes we can say bottom up or chest down, but we want to be trying to push the body 
in that way so that the body becomes flat in the water. Some really good activities to help them strengthen their core muscles is to keep the kickboard sideways, straight arms, and that's going to go over their legs or their hips. Okay, if you put it over their legs, the top of their legs, their thighs need to stay really glued to that kickboard. What that's going to do is it's going to make them push their chest down a little bit and tilt their pelvis. Remember, we're not saying tilt the pelvis to the kids because they're not going to understand that whatsoever. But it's going to start engaging those core muscles and giving them a bit of muscle memory for the core so that they can then get the top of their feet through the top of the water. Okay, top of the foot through the top of the water. That was one cue that I used to use a lot especially when kids wanted to kick with the, their toes first and they'd hold their foot really stiff. Um, but laying on the back, kickboard sideways because it helps them out with a bit of side-to-side balance and making sure that their legs or their hips remain in contact with that kickboard. They may need to push the kickboard down or lift their bottom or push their bottom up into the kickboard. Now, if you're going to use the word bottom, Just make sure you don't have one of those very literal kids that's going to roll over and literally push their bottom up into the kickboard like Nana Lee was talking about the other week. Okay, so we want to make sure kickboard goes down, legs and hips come up. We're training the core muscles to do what we need it to do. Okay, so they're they're the things that I'm, I'm, I'm going to suggest to Judy. One more thing actually that I've just thought. Sitting on the side and kicking... Okay, we've all done this every now and again. You sit them on the side, you get them to kick their legs. Put a noodle in front of you and get them to kick the bottom of the noodle with the top of their foot and get them to keep their arms raised in rockets. You can also get them to do alternating arms sort of out in front of their body and what that's going to do is help train their core while they're sitting on the side as well. Okay, it's another really good tool that they can use to start activating that core. Now, if kids can't sit on the side and kick their legs and alternate their arms from raised above their head to their knee, so one arm up, one arm at their knee, and then swap it over, that's what I'm talking about, and kick consistently, they're not ready to be doing any arms. Okay, they don't have the coordination to do their arms yet. So they want to be sitting on the side, kicking into that noodle with the top of their foot and then moving their arms and that's going to help them develop coordination and strength through their core as well. So there's a few different ways Judy can help move um, this little boy into kicking. Again, if he's really, really dense and he's a sinker, we want to say chest up. If he's not a sinker, we want to say chest down, bottom up or legs up. Okay. All right. If you've got any questions or any feedback, please let me know. I would love to hear from you guys. You can reach me at joy at a qualification.com.au. You can send in some questions. If you've got anything you want to talk about, any topics you want me to cover, I will gladly listen to those. Now remember, we're coming towards the end of the financial year, which means everyone's going to be receiving a pay rise. That's the other conversation that I've had this week with someone, a couple of people actually. So make sure that swim school owners and managers, you are on top of that. And if you're a teacher, make sure that your pay rates get checked and double checked as that goes up. 
So if you're looking for those pay rates, you can go to, I always go to the um, paycheck calculator that's put out by Fair Work. And swimming teachers are generally paid in the fitness industry award as well. So that's pretty cool. All right. That is a wrap for today. Now, in a couple of weeks, I am heading off to New Zealand. I'm hoping I might be able to catch up with a few teachers over there and hear what they've got to say. Uh, But generally, I'm going to be having a bit of a holiday, which I think I, I need right now. So I may not post anything for a couple of weeks. I'm still working on organizing those interviews regarding transitions. Remember, that's transitions into lessons, transition to parents out, transition to a competitive sport. Now, that's any aquatic competitive sport. So stay tuned, keep an ear out, and I'll let you know when the next ones are coming up. You've been listening to The Joy of Aquatics. Happy teaching.